podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, Patreon. So, so here's what we do, what up? TK. Um, we're here with TK Coleman, tkcoleman.com, yeah. Praxis, etc. Uh, we'll put links to everything that he does. <laughs> Apologies and, for being out of uniform today. Oh, uh, dude. <laughs> yeah, well. Great. So you, got, you know, you bring a little color in the studio, man. <laughs> we appreciate go. it, brother. There you go. I used to wear a blue That's shirt. The most racist thing you've ever said. <laughs> 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 that was definitely toe in the line. <laughs> You're such an asshole, man. <laughs> right for saddle C color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my God, dude. This went down really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> this is like the place. This is our safe space. Like, legitimately. Yeah. These are... Are, are people who understand us they and patreon is the place where we we sort of think out loud we test have you you've gone to you actually gone to the comedy store with me before right yep and uh their comedians go up there and they're just testing new jokes and yep. they're bombing they're failing this is kind of what we do on patreon then yeah. the minimal episode is, is tighter and and uh doesn't leave as much room for these um freestyle moments right i was i was gonna say like discursive <laughs> recursive discussions yeah. anyway we usually start tk with an article that's like a jump off point mm-hmm. and uh, we call it more about less because mm-hmm. people already listened to the minimal episode by now which by the way we haven't recorded yet we're doing the maximal first <laughs> this time around just, just to, to see test what, them just to see what happens yeah, yeah. and and uh here's the thing we we, we read something and then we talk about it. Mm. Usually we read an article, but I'm not going to read an article today. I have an email from my doctor. Mm. We're talking about positive thinking today, and I'm sure mm. we'll agree to disagree on some stuff yeah. uh, about thinking and positive thinking, but this was an email exchange I had with my doctor where we were disagreeing about positive thinking. Yeah, it was, a, thought, yeah it's, it was It was crazy to like read through that because like, I had never thought about positive thinking before, but you know, that said, I guess we should get into it. Well, eventually I called him and talked to him about you and something you often talk about, Ryan. So we'll just start with this. This is from earlier this year, February 27th. And he said, hey, sorry to bombard you. I've just been catching up on podcasts after a long stint in Audible and listened to your episode 169. Question, does Chris Hogan use a vocoder? Is that how you say it? What is a vocoder? It's like a a synthesizer for your voice. Oh, right. It makes, uh, we have Chris Hogan on here. He's, uh, he, I know, yeah. he, he has like the deepest like yeah baritone uh, like yeah. he's a james earl jones i mean he's yeah. competing against him basically God, he should be like a, a voice father. character yeah right exactly right. <laughs> it's uh, uh yeah or, or bane or something i've yeah. been asking you guys for the barry white effect and still don't have it. Uh, <laughs> i'm looking for the barry white button <laughs> i think podcast sean can right. take care of that I, I i love how like when chris talks like whatever he says you take serious he could be talking about his grocery list and he'd be like really paying attention like oh broccoli huh he should do the audio books <laughs> the phone book (laughs) anyway uh back to my doctor here he said man what a fantastic voice anyway positive psychology doesn't work that's one (laughs) man end of podcast (laughs) uh he says it's a very consistent finding in the psych literature see the work of gabrielle otten ottengen at all she's been on my podcast and her book rethinking positive thinking is excellent also See Bright-Sided by Eckenrich. The problem is positive fantasies decrease activation energy. Mm. It's, as a, it's as if some part of your brain is satisfied by the fantasy alone. What works better is contrast. Positive thinking followed by a pre-mortem analysis. Then you make a plan, a.k.a. implementation intentions. 
Would love to jump on the phone and chat about this and how it might apply to your situation. You can also talk to Simon as he's the expert. So Simon's the therapist I've been talking to. Anyway, uh, TK, you know a little bit. I've had some significant health problems since Ryan and I went to Brazil last uh, September and I got food poisoning down there. And since then I've had... I knew I shouldn't have ordered you the E. coli cheeseburger. (laughs) (laughs) It's delicious going down. Uh, Since then I've had significant nerve damage in my gut. It's caused all kinds of really, just really bad problems. And we've tried everything to treat it. And... Um, just this past week has been one of the worst weeks of my life. So, so sorry to hear that. Man. Yeah, man, this, this, this topic is, is important to me because I have been like Mr. Positive and mm-hmm. I'm at a point where I'm like, fuck, I just want to get my life back, man. Like I, yeah. it's been nine months, almost to the day at this point. Yeah. And it's nine of the hardest months of my life. Like, I, and this past week is definitely the hardest week of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so here's how I responded to, to, to Chris here. Uh, I said, yeah, I think Chris Hogan was born, born with a vocoder in his throat. His voice moves through walls, literally. And then I responded, positive psychology doesn't work. What's the alternative? Pessimism? Nihilism? I assure you from personal empirical experience, positive thinking works better than negative rumination. That said, I wholly agree that positive psychology alone doesn't work that's the problem with all the mystical the secret woo woo nonsense it doesn't account for the other half of the equation Mm. action right pre-mortem analysis is an important ingredient too there's value in temporary pain it signals what is wrong but stewing in that pain can can create unnecessary suffering which makes me wonder is nihilism simply pre-mortem analysis on a recursive loop? And he responded, positive psychology doesn't work. What's the alternative, pessimism or nihilism? And then he said, no, uh, WHOOP is the best alternative. Have you heard of this WHOOP thing, which is a silly acronym? Yeah. This is from WHOOPMYLIFE.COM. <clears throat> First time I've ever heard of this is when you sent it to me. Yeah. It reminds me of... Uh, like Tony Robbins ultimate success formula. Absolutely. That's exactly what I said. And I said, yeah. uh, Ryan often works with, with mentees and goes through this success formula. Basically whoop is like, what is your wish? What's the best outcome? What is your main inner obstacle and make a plan. Mm-hmm. But I think going through all of that, it's going to be far more powerful. If you're thinking positively, I don't. And I think here's what, so when you when you called him, how did the conversation go down? Um, he, well, it, my my last <laughs> response to him was, "Thanks for sharing. I have some thoughts on Whoop that we can talk about." It's almost as if we're talking about two separate dimensions of problem solving and living a meaningful life, or perhaps they're just semantic differences. And basically, when I talked to him on the phone, he said that I think positive thinking often stops people from taking action. And I agree that if it's if it stops you from taking action, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. But but man, I've I've been the guy up until very and even now, like I I've done my best to to think positively through this, and I've had serious struggles over the last several weeks, especially. Um, but even even in there, it's like the rumination doesn't help me at all, mm-hmm. right? Being negative doesn't help me at all. So TK, I know you're, you're a positive, you, you are a fan of positive thinking, uh, but I, I think you can add some nuance to this. So 
I have learned the hard way to avoid the language of positive thinking. I would definitely describe myself as a positive thinker. Most people have described me that way. But I think the language is so hopelessly co-opted and misunderstood that I would never put myself in the position of trying to defend positive thinking. I would rather just change my language so I can have a much easier conversation. So instead of positive thinking, I now use terms like uh, self-nourishing or self-empowering or constructive thinking, right? Because either your thought patterns are moving you in a direction that is opposite of your pursuit and practice of well-being, or it's moving you in a direction that supports your pursuit of, of uh, in your practice of, of well-being. So um, typically when people attack positive thinking and they say, oh, I don't believe in positive thinking, what they mean is something like this, thoughts that make you feel good or comfortable, right? Hmm. And clearly there are important things we need to think about in life that don't make you feel, unco- that don't make you feel comfortable. So if your doctor says, hey, you have this illness, and you need to study this disease and you need to make these changes in your diet and your lifestyle, that may not feel very good, but by putting your attention on those things, you're moving in the direction of health, right? You're thinking in a way that is supporting your pursuit and practice of well-being. And that's a good thing, but it's not stereotypically positive. And there are other things that might seem negative, they might make you feel negative, like acknowledging that you have $50,000 in debt. That doesn't feel good, right? That sucks. But what's the most important part of a map? It's not where you wanna go, it's the part that says you are here, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and knowing where you are may not feel so good, but that's actually a good thing. It moves you in the direction of a healthier, better life. So I like to think about being a constructive thinker or being a creative thinker. Are your thoughts moving you in a good direction? Are they making you healthier or are they putting you in the best possible position to be healthy? Rather than getting caught up in the semantics of positivity. But I do have to say something about the semantics of it because I think positivity gets an unfair treatment. So this statement, positive psychology doesn't work. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry, positive psychology is an actual field of study. It is a real legitimate discipline. See Martin Seligman, the author of Learned Optimism, see Daniel Gilbert, who is a professor at Harvard University, does a lot of research in the field of positive psychology. He has an excellent book called Surprised by Happiness. Um, You can actually preview his work. He's got three different TED Talks. One of my favorite is uh, What Your Mother Didn't Teach You About Happiness. And positive psychology is a field where a lot of different people are doing some very interesting research And there is no one single monolithic conclusion of positive psychology. So to say positive psychology doesn't work is like saying physical fitness doesn't work. Well, what does that mean? Mm. Like, sure, there are some forms of exercise that might not work for you. There may be some ways of working out that will cause more harm than good. But what in the world does it mean to say this entire field doesn't work? There is no single conclusion that defines the field. Um, People like Martin Seligman and Daniel Gilbert, when you engage their works, would agree with everything that you said with Whoop because their research doesn't support the idea that feeling bad is some kind of sin or acknowledging so-called negative realities is a terrible thing that leads to an unhealthy life. People that are doing research in positive psychology say, hey, sometimes you need to put your attention on the things that make you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. on the things that make you feel good, feel bad, in order to live a healthy life. So when people think about positive psychology, they usually have in mind some cheesy motivational speaker who teaches a philosophy of delusion, and and, and they usually can't name them. You know, they, they, they usually, you know, 
don't know about the people that are doing the academic research and and they just sort of sort of attack you know the one or two people that they heard on Oprah Winfrey talking about the law of attraction and telling people that if you close your eyes and visualize a million dollar check it'll show up without any effort and 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 they sort of equate that with positive psychology but it's actually an intellectually sophisticated feel with a lot of nuance to it. You can't just boil it down to only think about what makes you feel good. No positive psychologist believes that. Yeah. I mean, I think trying to make positive thinking like a binary thing, either it's good or it's bad. Yeah. It's a tool. I mean, it is something that I think, like any other tool, if you use it appropriately, it can totally add benefits to your life. I mean, when when I think about when I was paying off debt, I absolutely used the, the the positive thinking in the sense of like, yeah, I know that uh, I can't really go out to eat as much as I want this month because eventually I'm going to have no debt. And like, that's a yeah. really good feeling. And like hanging on to that, that reward or, or, or uh, ruminating on that reward, like totally motivated me internally to pay off my debt as soon as possible. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, saying it works or it doesn't work, you're right. No matter, you know, whether you say it works, yeah, it does work. And when you say it doesn't work, yeah, it, it doesn't work. It depends on how you use it. It sounds to me like what what we're saying here is that you can be, a, you can think positively, you can hope, You really it's about hope for me. That, that's yeah. the word that really stands out. Mm. And I think that's the reason this last week has been so difficult for me because not a whole lot has changed. Mm. Um but I've lost a significant amount of hope. You know, mm. despair it says the same thing about the future, just the obverse side. Like, there, there's no cure, there's no fix, there's no solution, right? And, and so when we, when we realize, like, oh, there is a, there is a solution, even though I'm, it's going to take a lot of work and, and, and it's hard to get there, at mm. least I have, I have some hope, and that allows me to feel good enough to pursue the action necessary. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great point, man, hope. And that, that is a positive, a positive thinking uh, aspect. So if we don't have any hope, then what the hell do we have? You know, we have despair. Right. Yeah. Um, no. Oh, go ahead. I'll throw something else in the pot because sometimes we hope is even hard to find, right? So mm-hmm. what do you do when you don't have hope? Um, I believe there's a basis for quote unquote positivity that doesn't even require faith in a positive outcome. So let's take a lesson from nature. Let's say a gazelle is out out and about and here's the rumbling in the bushes and out comes a lion and that lion is getting ready to chase you. Is there any reason to believe that you're going to escape? Nope. No. Right? No. All the evidence points to you are probably going to die mm-hmm. and it's going to be painful. That's what the evidence suggests, mm-hmm. right? It would be rational to accept that as a true proposition. But what does the gazelle do? It runs like hell. Why? Because it knows or believes or has evidence that it's going to escape? No, but because what other option is there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's not a faith in a positive outcome. It's the recognition that there is no other alternative that gives me the slightest possibility of survival other than to fight for my life. So when, when, when you, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was from Peter Daniels who said, in the course of your lifetime, read a thousand biographies because in doing so, you'll build a vast vocabulary for overcoming incredible odds. Mm-hmm. And when you read the biographies of people, great leaders, great achievers, great innovators who have overcome incredible odds, many of these people didn't have faith in a positive outcome. They didn't have any sort of evidence or any sort of insight from God that said, I'm guaranteeing you success. But they fought like hell because there was no other alternative. When you read Man's Search for Meaning, 
Viktor Frankl didn't fight for his life every day because he had some sort of evidence that he was gonna get out of a concentration camp, mm. right? He just had one option. And, and he chose the only option that he had. Well, so, there's always, there's two options, right? There, there's always the, the option of death. I mean, that's why right. suicide rates are, are, are so high right now. Yeah. Um, you know, especially where, where Ryan and I come from, there's this sort of, yeah, there's not sort of, there's this huge opioid epidemic, right? Mm-hmm. In, in Dayton, Ohio, and it's all over America. But, um, and all communities are affected. It's young, old, rich, poor, black, white. It's, yeah. um, all, all communities have been affected by this. And I, to me, it's it's a loss of hope. And we find different ways to pacify ourselves quite often. And sometimes it's because there was some sort of initial pain. You know, when, when Ryan, and he's talked about this, and we talk about it in a book we're working on now, um, when Ryan was on opioids, the the thing there was like yeah there was an actual pain like he broke his hand and it was like oh this is uh, uh, this yeah. is what I'm supposed hey, to thanks do. for all these Percocet yeah. appreciate right. it yeah and 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 pretty soon that turns into five thousand dollar a month habit right and and uh, and then other people do really drastic things because they've lost hope and they're spiral spiraling downward and, and what about people there where they feel like man I just have trouble I'm so far beyond thinking positively in this in this moment yeah. Um, so I, I think about this in terms of sports. Are you guys familiar with the uh, the play called a Hail Mary? Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, what is a Hail Mary for for our listeners who may not be as into sports that, as we that's are? That's when Michael Jordan like pushes <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Russell before he takes that game winning shot. That's like, a, is that a Hail Mary? No. no. <laughs> that, that, that's called a revision revisionist account of history. I think it's on video, man. <laughs> Byron Russell is still mad he's on a million posters. <laughs> Those referees are paid professionals. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay, so so for, for people who are who are unfamiliar with the Hail Mary, Ryan, what is it? Yeah, it's basically, uh, yeah, it's when a, it's a football term, and it's when a quarterback essentially lines up in a shotgun position, which means that he's far back from the center, so he gets it snapped to him far behind the line. All of his receivers run as far down the field as they can, and he just throws the ball and prays, says some Hail Marys, <laughs> and hopes yeah. that one of his receivers catches it. Yep, and and the thing about Hail Marys is you never see people open the game with a Hail Mary mm-hmm. or do a Hail Mary play in the middle of a game because statistically it is a low, um, a low probability uh, mm-hmm. effort at scoring. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's pretty much a dumb play to run because the odds that, that it'll work are really, really low. Mm-hmm. Um, so rationality doesn't justify throwing a Hail Mary. But whenever people use it, it's in a moment of desperation. It's the final play of the game. You don't have enough time to run a really good play. Mm -hmm. Um, Or a series of good plays. Or a series of good plays. You absolutely must score on this one possession. So Mm -hmm. it's not good enough to get yourself in a position to score. You must score. And so the only way to win is to be lucky. Mm -hmm. So you don't do it because you believe in luck or because you think luck is, is probable. You do it because if you're going to win, it's going to be by luck, and that's it. And you throw that Hail Mary, not because you have faith in a positive outcome, not because you know it's gonna work, not because you can give a good argument for it. You throw a Hail Mary because, hey, this is the only shot I have at winning the game, and I'm, I'm gonna acknowledge that that's where I am, I'm gonna be honest about that, and I'm gonna see what I can do. I, I think we talked about a similar concept in one of our first episodes. We talked about how instead of pressuring yourself to to find your passion, you, you, you instead you can open your, up yourself to the possibility of just being willing to try something new. 
right? You don't have to know what you need to do or know what you want to do. Just be open to possibility. Be willing right. to try something new. And I, I think I think that is applicable here too when it comes to positive thinking. You don't have to know what's going to come next. You don't even have to have faith that things are going to work out. You just have to be willing to try something new. Yeah. Right, but sometimes trying something new. Man, I was just reading this. I wish I had this printed out. Because um, I, I, I also believe in. There's a there's an essay on our website called "Just Do Something," and mm-hmm. and it's sort of it plays on the "just do it" cliche. Like there's a reason that that, that pithy saying has has lasted like yeah. several generations at this point. You know, yeah. uh, where where "just do it" is still applicable to teenagers today. But what do they mean by that? It's like. I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're saying just do something. But there are times where, like you just said, a Hail Mary is not appropriate, right? Uh, In fact, most times the Hail Mary is not appropriate. Right. But if you're in a position where you say there's nothing I can do, that's an argument that a Hail Mary probably is appropriate. But sometimes we say that and it's not true. Would you would you acknowledge that? Sometimes we say there's nothing. Yeah, I I've do. I've tried everything, and it's like right. Like no. literally, tell me the 100 things you've tried. <laughs> it's like, right. well, no, but I've been hitting my head against the wall repeatedly, and nothing's happened still. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, that hasn't fixed your problem, right? Yeah. We say we've done everything, but yeah. we we've tried three things that have failed, and we did them mm-hmm. half-ass anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I'll give a charitable interpretation of that. Um, I I think I saw this on on like a like a meme or something like that where. One friend says to the other, why do you insist on always taking the hard way? And, and the friend responds by saying, why, why do you insist on um, believing that I, that I see another way? So I, I think when people do say, I've tried everything, that, 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 what that means is I have reached the edge of my knowledge, mm. right? Mm. I have tried everything that I know to do. And, 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 and I'm aware of no other options. And so I, I think another great alternative to just trying to be positive about it is, is knowledge, is information, is, you know, um, I, I think it's far more empowering to, to pursue experiences and to pursue knowledge that can expand your understanding of the world, that can broaden your horizons, mm-hmm. as opposed to just trying to be positive. So much of what we call being positive is basically like, it's like uh, walking into a bathroom, someone hasn't flushed the toilet, and you're just gonna take some perfume and spray it on like, top of it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah I, right. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you're not getting rid of the problem, right? That's not doing anything. And, and I think a lot of efforts to be positive um, are, are based on a similar kind of methodology. We, we don't deal with what's under the hood. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think getting some new ideas um, is a way to sort of expand your imagination so you're not so easily brought to a place where you say, I've tried everything. And I, I think that's why reading biographies, studying the lives of successful people is very important. You know, James Baldwin said, you think you are alone with your suffering in the world until you begin to read, until you begin to study the lives of others. And you realize that all of the problems that you're wrestling with, millions of other people throughout history have had their own variation of that. And they have a piece of the puzzle that's useful to mm-hmm. you. You know, That's mm-hmm. different from reading a motivational book but it gives you conceptual tools that you can use to, you know, construct your own life. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is like you've got to you got to find different perspectives. And whenever you yeah. can find a different perspective, that is when you start to come up with ideas on how to take some actions that maybe you wouldn't have thought of before you had that knowledge. And like that's I think the problem with positive thinking is like when we just rely on positive thinking, just like you said in the email. Mm-hmm. That is a problem. Yeah. Like just relying on the secret 
which is, you know, I feel like is the most extreme example of relying on positive thinking like that. I think there are other extreme examples, right? Like, I mean, the, that's the one that usually gets stereotyped well, and mocked. Yeah, cults. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But even I would even argue with cults, though. Like you have a community of like there, it's not just the positive thinking. Like there's a community of people mm-hmm. that are encouraging you. That's there right. are there's some beliefs that are involved with that faith in the authority of the leader. Right, right, right. The chosen <clears throat> one. Yeah. yeah, but but when we rely just on positive thinking, uh, that I mean maybe that is the hail mary is relying on positive thinking, but like you said, it has such a low probability. Uh, people relying on positive thinking just to get them through their lives like that is that is uh that's a really poor expectation i think and i think that is what uh what what your doctor was saying josh is like people who just sit around they're like you know what i just gotta stay positive and everything will be okay i mean if there's someone watching this or listening to this uh, one of our patrons write us and let us know how how positive thinking alone is what and seriously like I'm, i mean that's a real call like please write us and let us know email us the minimalist at the minimalists.com let us know how positive thinking alone was able to pull someone out like going you know continuing with my story about how i was hooked on to opio- opioids you know i got to a point where i saw myself bifurcating one or two ways man like i all my friends who were who were doing that they were all uh, eventually were on heroin eventually mm-hmm. And, and and I always and why why is that is it because it's easier to access? Yeah, and it's cheaper. And okay. then like and that's just wow. it. It's like it starts out where you you know you can spend ten bucks and you can get high for two days with for ten dollars with but, heroin, right? But then it turns into like you know a hundred dollars a day. Like one pill lasts you two days when you start out, and then you got to start buying ten pills a day. Right. So and I always tell myself like, oh dude, I'm never gonna do heroin. Like, especially when I was a kid, I'm like, oh man, like I'm never you know the heroin's like that's like elite drug addicts like oh never be that elite drug addict that's the line i won't cross right and we tell ourselves these stories that say all these other lines are fine like there's an infinite number of lines up till there right Mm -hmm. yeah but for you that was the line that was the line so like i and what happened is is i got to a point where i was going through withdrawal so i was looking for pills couldn't find them but heroin was available Mm. and like i had like a brief thought where i was like i mean it is no it is just another opiate and I don't want to have to inject it. I'll just snort it. Mm. But like, as I'm having this thought process, I'm like, I've seen my friends have the same exact thought process. You're moving the line. Right, exactly. Well, I, now and like, the line is injecting heroin, right? Right, yeah, exactly. So like, as soon as I even caught myself thinking that, I'm like, oh, dude, like you need help. <laughs> like this is, there's yeah. a problem here. So uh, it was not positive thinking that got me out of that situation. It was uh, me going and seeking professional help yeah. to uh not only be counseled but you know they got i didn't get on methadone thank god but uh like suboxone i was i was on for a little bit so like i used a uh you know a system that was in place to help me get off of there and i it took me a long time before i even had started to be able to have the positive thinking so to to the doctor's point too looking at that 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 road of taking heroin looking at the negative mm-hmm. effects of what i had already done to my life looking at the negative effects of if I did go down that heroin road, being in that negative state, it did force me to choose a different path. Yeah. So it's, and that's interesting to me. Like there is some benefits to negative thinking sometimes. Maybe I'll say it like this. For me, positive thinking makes everything better. But let me, let me be clear when I say that. 
it makes everything better. It does not replace any of those things. Mm. And, and I think that's that's the key. You know, yeah. I, it, when, even back in the corporate world, when things weren't feeling outstanding, like I would do your know, positive self-talk, where it's just like, yeah, I walk into Starbucks and they would write Mr. Outstanding on my cup because mm-hmm. I every time that I walk in there, how you doing? I'm outstanding because mm-hmm. it changes the way that I feel. It changes my physiology. It changes my mental state, and it makes the day better for me in that circumstance however however mm. if it makes your life comfortable as, as tk alluded to earlier mm. that was a big part of my that was a big problem with my corporate life throughout my 20s like everything was a a six out of ten and so it was too comfortable to make a significant change mm. but it wasn't it, it wasn't un <laughs> it wasn't enough pain that i said hey I have to do something right now. Yeah. I have to I have to do the Hail Mary or whatever leads up to the Hail Mary or whatever. I have to take some sort of action. Mm. And so maybe, maybe in the moment, positive thinking did make everything better, but maybe it also postponed a, a low-level type of suffering. Kind of a Band-Aid, mm. almost, the positive thinking in that situation. Because it's of, like kind this... Kind of a cast where you're like, I don't really need this cast maybe. Like, mm. uh, my arm would work fine without it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I'm mixing metaphors here. Well, well, it <laughs> seems like the problem in your situation was that it, it was a kind of positive thinking divorced from logic, right? That you call it positive thinking because it made you feel good, but it was it was still self defeating because it ignored important evidence pointing you to the fact that you were doing things that just weren't right for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I I I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with focusing on something just because it makes you feel good. That's not inherently bad. Like feeling good isn't bad, mm-hmm. you know? Um, we sort of treat that like you're just being irrational. I, I had a friend uh, one time ask me how it was going and I said, it's going pretty well. And he says, is it really going well? Or is that just the story you're telling yourself? I said, I don't acknowledge the difference, man. I don't acknowledge the difference, right? Um, and th- there's nothing wrong with telling myself a story that makes me feel good, unless of course my act of telling that story causes me to ignore important evidence about my life. Right. And, and that seems to be the problem. I, I, I think one, one way I like to put it is, is if I stated it as a principle, is I would say, focus your attention in a way that feels good as long as there are no logically or morally compelling reasons to do otherwise. Now, in the case of a note like that from a doctor, there is a logically and morally compelling reason for you to put your attention on some things that aren't gonna feel so good. Mm-hmm. But that's good for you, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't feel good to you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, But if you're just sitting around and you're waiting in line and you're thinking, oh, my life sucks because I'm waiting in line, it's perfectly fine to say, you know what? It's okay that I'm waiting in line. This is a part of life and I'm waiting for something that's going to make it worth the wait. And I'm entirely free to be here. I choose to be here. I'm not a victim. You know what I mean? That's okay to make yourself feel good mm-hmm. in, a, in a situation like that. You just I, don't want to divorce it from logic and I love so the, you, you, what you're saying there is like, yeah, it's the story that I tell myself. And when Ryan first moved out here to LA, the, the story he was telling himself was like, wow, I'm stuck in traffic. This is awesome. And like, yeah, because LA is notorious for traffic. I actually don't think it's as bad as as people make it out. Yeah, I yeah. mean, 
It's it's bad, but like you go to like Seattle or Chicago, like it's just as bad or yeah, worse. Drive down I seventy five through Atlanta right. at and five p.m. Oh, Atlanta's yeah. tough, man. Yeah, yeah. you drive down I seventy one in Cincinnati at, at eight a.m. Yeah, forget about it, man. It's yeah. the same thing as the four hundred five. There's just fewer lanes. It's the same amount of traffic, though. Mm-hmm. You're going zero miles an hour whether you're here or you're in Cincinnati. I would even posit that, like in a place like Cincinnati, I noticed it was noticed this when I was there. There are very like everyone's in a hurry very aggressive drivers cutting people mm-hmm. off there's no consideration for the traffic around like it is a you when you drive in a place like cincinnati during rush hour it is a me attitude mm-hmm. and if you don't have that me attitude then you, you you're not going to flow with traffic appropriately right. where in la it is very much not a me attitude like they're very tolerant. I, it's mm-hmm. funny. Remember when we first came to California? I'm like, everyone's so nice here. And this lady, we were in the line in Chipotle, and this lady over me, she's like, no. She's like, we're just more tolerant here in California. She's like, we're not nice. <laughs> <laughs> like we just, we just are more tolerant, of, you know, yeah. with with traffic and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's it's that's just my way of saying like I'd rather be stuck in LA traffic than traffic in Chicago or traffic in Cincinnati or traffic in Atlanta. Like I definitely would choose this, and. I mean, just stand on the topic of positive attitudes. Like, I still will find myself in traffic. I mean, just see. I mean, I'll still. I mumble stuff every once in a while, like everyone does in traffic. Like, you know, what are you doing? There's like, I saw this meme of like the five things that everyone says in traffic. (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Why are you doing that? You cut me up anyway. So, like, you know, I I will get into that sometimes. (laughs) But by and large, ninety five percent of the time, like Mariah and I are in traffic the other day. I'm like, look, we're doing it. We're in L. A. We're yeah. so, we're so LA, Mariah. Look at us, like, but but that does it. Really does help me get through things. Like that positive attitude helps me get through the uh, the negative feelings that the, the visceral feelings that come up when I am stuck in traffic. And I think it's perfectly okay to like to to kind of I, I don't want to say lie to myself because it's not necessarily a lie. No, no, but it is definitely not. But a lie. it is reframing. It's it's a perspective that I choose to have and. When I'm in traffic, if I choose to be pissed off because I'm in traffic, well, guess what? Like, I'm going to be pissed off. If I am sitting in traffic and I'm, you know, choose a perspective of like, dude, I'm in Los Angeles. Like, how lucky am I to be able to to live in LA and like experience this and be in this great weather and at least it's nice outside. Like, that is going to help me get through traffic a little bit better. It reminds me of, I back in Ohio, I, had, I was living in the suburbs and I, so we were on like this, in this cul-de-sac neighborhood. And, you know, people would drive through there, and I'm sure the speed limit was probably 15 or 20 miles an hour, and um, I had a neighbor who would sit out, he's a retired guy, sit on his lawn chair and just yell at cars for several hours on the weekend. <laughs> like, as cars went by at 27 miles an hour, he would just yell, slow down, asshole, <laughs> over and over. Wow. I love this guy. But this is the story he told himself, was like, right. People are going to, to speed, and I'm going to be the, the sort of justice or whatever, as opposed right. to actually doing something about it. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, I, was that, is that positive thinking? Is that negative thinking on his part? I don't I don't know what that was. It, <laughs> it, was, pre, it, was, it was almost like preemptive yeah. negative thinking. Like, yeah. some bad stuff's about to happen today, and I'm going to be the arbiter of the bad things that are going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Y- you know, I, I really do think there is a sense in which we... We, we we trap ourselves in a, in a in a very unhealthy place when we spend too much analyze spend too much time analyzing how how positive our thoughts are or how negative our thoughts are. I, I think about C.S. Lewis who said once that uh, a person who tries to measure how quickly they're falling asleep 
is likely to remain awake all night. Mm. And I think the same is true for things like happiness. If you're analyzing, am I positive enough today? You know, was I 75%? Yesterday I was 65% positive. Today I'm <laughs> 75%. I'm getting better. You're missing the whole point, right? It doesn't matter what kind of label we can slap on those thoughts. Oh, that was a negative one. Technically, Josh, technically that was negative. It doesn't even matter. The question that matters is, what are the results you most want to create in your life? Mm -hmm. Whether those results are internal, like I wanna feel more peace, or I want more harmony in my relationships, or I wanna be more physically healthy, or I wanna maximize my athletic potential, whatever it may be, I wanna cut down on my debt. Are your thoughts moving you towards that? Or are your thoughts constructive? Are they empowering? Or are they self-defeating? If they're self-defeating, I don't care if they're positive. You're Mm -hmm. negating your own life, right? And if they're, tending towards health, it doesn't matter if they're so-called negative because the goal isn't to win brownie points from society. It's not to have a brand of positivity. It doesn't matter if other people look at me as like, oh boy, TK's Mr. Happy, TK's Mr. Positive. If I'm miserable on the inside and my life isn't oriented around the results I create. Mm -hmm. And I also don't care if everyone looks at me as like, oh, TK's just negative all the time. If I'm just totally winning at life and crushing it, I'm happy in my marriage, I'm happy with my family, I'm getting along with my friends, I'm feeling healthy, go ahead and think I'm negative because that doesn't matter. It's not a societal societal game of like how positive or negative we are. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. I I thought of, who said this recently? Was it, I feel like it was Andrew Schultz, but it probably wasn't. he said, uh, someone said, uh, we are, we're all our own celebrities. We're all trying to be celebrities now. We all have social media, whatever. Right. Like yeah. We're all our own celebrities, and celebrities are the most miserable people in the world. Yeah. So we're all aspiring to be the most miserable people yeah. in the world. Yeah. And uh, we, we look to them. Because, yeah, they can, you know, Johnny Depp can put on a smile or whatever, and it's a beautiful smile, right? Mm-hmm. But And maybe J- Johnny Depp is eternally happy. I have no idea. Yeah. But I, I think I think that the <clears throat> by and large what we see is when people reach this level of, of adulation. Seth mm-hmm. Godin just had a blog post this morning about this called Yes, 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 oh, Yes, Yes, Yes. Yeah. And it was basically saying like, hey, yeah, you might get the yes, and it feels good at first, but it also means you have to show up, and you have to keep the promises that that you've made. And if you switch one letter around, yes, 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 turns into eyes, 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 and all the eyes are on you because you've received the applause. So be careful what you ask for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that whether it's it's Seth Godin or or the the celebrities or or, or whatever we're talking about here, we have to be careful what we aspire toward mm. as well. And I think sometimes we're aspiring toward someone else's idea of like what would be positive. You were positive thinking towards someone else's aspirations. Yeah, you wanna be positive thinking towards your own, man. Yeah. I, I think another thing too is um, it's, it's important to say that what you feel is not a virtue or a vice, right? So feeling unhappy is not a sin. And feeling happy doesn't make you better than anyone else. And I think this is important because a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves to be positive comes from a place of feeling like our unhappiness is a sin or it's, it's evidence that we're doing something wrong. So if, I'm, if I wake up this morning and you know everybody around me seems happy and I just kind of feel like, man, like I don't like my job or I don't like my life, we kind of put this pressure on ourselves like, well, I, I'm, I'm not the way I should be. 
I, I, I must be dysfunctional. Mm. I must be a loser. I must be a bad person. I, I, I must be an ungrateful person. I don't want to be one of those people. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make myself positive. Yeah, I'm just going to talk positively. But yeah, my job is just fine. I, I ought to be grateful. And so what we do is we end up trapping ourselves in a narrative that says, even though I don't feel grateful for my job, I believe that I ought to feel grateful, so I'm gonna talk a game of gratitude and just sort of stuff that down in the name of trying to do the righteous thing. And I don't think that helps anybody either. No. I, I think I think being healthy, being constructive, starts with the recognition that my feelings simply are what they are. I am not loved more or less by God or the universe because of what I feel. You know, I am not better or worse than anyone else because of what I feel. It's about the response that I have to these feelings. It's about what I choose to do with them, the relationship that I choose to develop with them. It's kind of like the weather, man. It's like some days you'll wake up and, and you'll have hoped for a sunny day and it'll be rainy outside. Some days it'll be really cold. Some days it'll be really nice. And you don't always get to control that. There are things you can do to influence the way you feel, but you don't get to control the entire gamut of emotion. You will have some involuntary emotional experiences, and recognizing that that's okay, you know, kind of relieves the pressure of feeling like, oh, I, 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 I gotta make myself feel something different than what I feel through positive thinking. Mm. No, you can simply allow yourself to be present to what you feel with a spirit of non-judgmental compassion and sometimes be available to what that emotion is teaching you about life. Your jealousy, your fear might have something as valuable to offer you as your happiness. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said until you mentioned jealousy. I think jealousy is a wasted emotion, personally. Um, I, I don't see the, the good that can come from jealousy, so maybe maybe talk about that. Yeah, so, so let, let's first make sure we're on the same page with one of the most important questions in the English language. What do you mean when you use that word? Yeah, uh, well, so I, I tend to delineate jealousy and envy, and I don't okay. think either one of them are, are particularly useful. Yeah. Um, I think jealousy is saying... Um, I want what you have, mm -hmm. um, and then envy is saying you shouldn't have. No, other way around. Jealousy is you shouldn't have what you have. Envy is uh, I is is the I opposite. Yeah, yeah, I, I should I have. I should get it, and yeah. you shouldn't have it. Yeah. yeah, as a result, so envy is like one step further, even yeah. I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. I don't find that particularly useful. It's a famine mentality. Yeah. Okay. So. I don't find it particularly enjoyable. I don't find it particularly inspiring. And, and, and maybe we should go ahead and concede the point and say it's not useful either. But I think attending to it, being honest about it, yeah. and, and being available to what it has to teach you it's can be a very constructive process. It's a symptom of something that you need to pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you really have two options here. If you're feeling jealous, you can say, oh, well, Josh says this isn't very useful, so I'm going to pretend like I don't feel this, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a different story. Or you can say, nope, as petty as it might be, as shameful as it might be, I'm really jealous of this guy. I wish I looked like he looked. I wish I had what he had, and, 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 and it just hurts to know that. Okay, <laughs> but you can be available to that, and this is a great opportunity for self-knowledge, for self-discovery. There has to be a way out of jealousy. I'm assuming that you guys are like me and that you felt jealous of other people before. Sure. I know I have. Yeah. And the way out of that isn't denial. It isn't just you know suppressing it and trying to make myself be positive. The way out of it is to use it as an opportunity to get to know myself and expand my understanding of the world. So, so maybe the emotion doesn't have to be regarded as useful. We can look at that as neutral. 
but but the process of being available to what that emotion has to teach me can be useful. Yeah, I think you're both Agreed. saying the same thing is like rum, ruminating in jealousy is is pointless. Right. Like that's I think that's what you're saying when jealousy well, is a like, wasted emotion. I want uh I really want to look like Jason Momoa. I could be as jealous I could be 100% jealous about him. Yeah. yeah. It's never going to happen. I don't have the uh, the Viking genes for that, right? right? But that feeling is real though. There are people who feel like that. Yeah. Right, but I'm yeah. I, I, thankfully I don't feel that, but yeah. but let's say I did. Yeah. Hypothetically. Um how in in what way is that going to be useful? I mean, eventually I'm going to have to just concede that I'm never going to do that. I, I really wish that I could, you know, dunk like Carl Malone, right? right? <laughs> never going to happen, right? I'm not not with that attitude. I, yeah. yeah. So so uh, you give me a nine and a half foot rim when I'm 19, I was trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I, I got you. Uh, yeah. But let's uh, uh, let's look at that. How is that useful? Oh, I, yeah. I, I just got to be Jason Momoa, right? So, so I'm, I, I can see that we, we can we can just say emotions are neither useful or useless because I, I can find an, I can find a positive emotion where you say you can wake up in the morning and go, "Ooh, I look like Jason Momoa," and that feels good, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can say, "Oh man, I look so much better than Jason but isn't Momoa," that the and that point, feels good. Though, like that would be to feel good would be okay. Like de, de, well, I, you're making the case for delusion right now, which I, I we can talk about positive thinking and the difference between positive <laughs> thinking and delusion. <laughs> you're making the case for delusion. No, no, no. Okay, let me finish this point though. Okay, what what I want to say is the positive feeling that you look better than Jason Momoa. Yeah isn't inherently useful. It's what you do with that. It's quite possible that waking up in the morning with that positive feeling could cause you to still be a, as much of a waste as the person who feels like they're uglier than Jason Momoa. Mm-hmm. I, I can't predict what your life is going to be and what your actions are going to be just by how positive your thought is or right. by how positive you feel. There are lots of people who feel very good about the way they look and it leads them to behaving like an asshole towards others, mm-hmm. right? And they still don't have love. They still don't have happy relationships. They still don't get the things they want. So I can't know anything just about, just just based on the thought that you're having. But to get to your question, how can it be useful in the way that we respond to it? Well, if you say, man, TK, I'm so depressed. And I say, why, man? And you say, well, I saw Jason Momoa and you know I love the way the, the girls react to him and I'm never gonna get that. You know, I'm never gonna look like him. I said, what is it about that that makes you unhappy? And now you now we, we, we began a process of Socratic dialogue where you begin to really reveal yourself as a human being that is far more complex than the mere thought of I don't look like Jason Momoa. Yeah. There are some philosophical layers there. There are some assumptions you're making about what it's what's necessary to be happy. Right. It's just like with minimalism. I don't have a Lambo. So I'm upset. Right. I don't have a million dollars, so I'm upset. Well, there are some assumptions there. Right. Like I need this to be happy. Where did you get that belief from? Like, what is it about the way you're looking at the world that makes you feel convinced of that? Because there's a way that we can undermine those assumptions and open you up to a different point of view, right? Yeah. So I, I think most of us have had that kind of jealousy and it's that very kind of Socratic thinking that's opened a way for us to get out of it. I don't think you can help anyone who feels jealous by just telling them, well, you're never gonna look like Jason Momoa, so just deal with it, kid. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can take the tough, you know, tough love approach, but I think it's far more profitable to say, "Why do you think you need to look like him?" Yeah, it's it's like, it, it's it's looking at the symptom and like unpacking the symptom of like yeah. why is it that I feel that way. It's like, you know, I think about John Mayer, and I could easily get jealous of like, man, I wish I could play guitar like John Mayer, and I'm jealous that I can't. 
And then I can go, I can, re- I can unpack that symptom and be like, why am I jealous? Well, it's because I really want to be talented at something. And I probably could, if I put in, you know, the 10,000 hours or whatever it is, right. I could, I could maybe get close to as good as he is, you know, maybe I'll never right. be what he is, but I could certainly get closer to that end of the spectrum. Well, then the question comes up is like, well, like, Hey, do I have the time? And if I do have the time, am I willing to invest yeah. that time? So, I mean, I, I do see what you're saying, TK, like just recognizing that symptom and then unpacking that can help you either one or the other. It'll help you like accept the way things are or it'll help you. It'll give you some motivation to move forward. We have some questions from our audience, but first, actually, TK sent me some questions, uh, some jump off points here. And I just I really like this one. You said, is the self-help industry just a bunch of fluff? How can you know which ideas work? How do you know when? How do you know who to listen to when the gurus contradict each other? What self-help philosophies and thinkers do you like? A lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is the self-help industry just a bunch of fluff? Oh, man. Can be. I think it can be. I mean, like self-help is a lot of times, like it's a pejorative to a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? And like That's unfortunate because yeah. like when... Mm-hmm. And I think this new word that's come out, self-care, which means effectively the same, the thing, same thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's a rebranding. Reframing, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. and it's just like, I think of, I think maybe I heard TK talk about this actually. When, when there are words that were once considered to be like a common term but they're now like a racist term or a sexist term, right? Because as language changes, the things we get offended by will will change, yeah. right? Um, my brother's black. And I, I remember like, w- this is in the 90s, we worked at the same restaurant together. Someone called him African-American. He said, man, don't call me that. I've never been to Africa. <laughs> like for him, that was offensive. Like right. it was more like he just wanted to also mess with white people too because right. like they were uncomfortable. But like the the... <laughs> the terminology tends to change over time. And I think that's what's happening now with self-help, but yeah. I don't know, maybe Like we, 10 years ago, it would have been okay for Ryan to say, I'm bringing a little color to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Today, that's unacceptable. Oh man, <laughs> never gonna live that down. <laughs> so yeah, what do you think about the self-help industry, TK? Oh man, um, so I, I agree with, with, with what both of you guys are saying. It, it's kind of tough because Nowadays, you'll read books that are not categorized as self-help, and they'll spend the the first two chapters explaining why I'm not a motivational speaker, why I'm not self-help, because they know people have so much resistance about Mm. those labels. And then you read it, and it's all just like insights on how you can help yourself reduce your debt, insights on how you can help yourself live a healthier life. And I'm like, wait, is it? Isn't the term self-help, isn't that the least controversial term we could come up with? You are helping yourself Mm -hmm. using the stories and the conceptual tools that other people write about. But I get it. I'm not naive. I understand. Um, A lot of people's experience of self-help for whatever reason, even though it differs from mine, is that of reading books that make really large promises about how everything's just going to be amazing after you apply this one, you know, one master technique and it does and 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 life is very nuanced right and there's no single book that's going to save your life there's no single technique that's going to make your life better when you divorce it from critical thinking and creative thinking and so i think the self-help industry has caused a lot of people um to end up feeling disappointed Mm. that that the promises of these books haven't been fulfilled and you you ever read anything from david foster wallace 
I haven't. I, I I only saw that one video. This is Water, but I haven't actually read any of his books. Right. That, that's yeah. like his most popular thing. But yeah. I mean, his writing is. Uh, you know, this is our David Foster Wallace segment of the podcast. <laughs> he wrote. He wrote an essay yeah, called uh, "How Tracy Austin Broke My Heart." Tracy Austin was like this tennis tennis prodigy back in I think the eighties. Mm. Do you remember Tracy Austin at all? But like, mm-hmm. she was competing at a professional level in like 16 years old it was unbelievable and uh eventually got hurt and whatever she wrote a memoir right Mm -hmm. and his whole the essay wasn't actually about her it was about how sports biographies always disappoint us because we try to take athletic genius a lebron james Mm -hmm. a carl malone I could name dozens of other basketball I players. We were talking about geniuses. Ah, <laughs> okay. Burn. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, I would obviously call Michael Jordan a, a athletic genius, but then we try to translate that into the written word, mm. and and what this essay, the thesis of this essay was, was like, wow. If you try to do that, you try to take this this thing that mm-hmm. is actually amorphous and and um, just really hard to contextualized because it has to do with physicality and you put it in the written word it's always going to disappoint you Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's the same thing with self-help but when we go to self-help looking for the answer that's that's i think why Mm -hmm. it has such a bad rep is because you do have people who do say hey use this one technique and you're going to live the best life possible well guess what when you apply that technique it doesn't work you're like, yeah. oh, this. You feel betrayed. Like right. someone and, lied to me. Yeah. I think that's why Dave Ramsey works so well. This mm-hmm. is one of the the few self help areas where there is a definitive answer, and people sure. might disagree with the few nuances sure. in there, but ultimately they're like, yeah, the snowball that snowball works a hundred percent of the right. time. It's applied. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the seven baby steps works a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. It's applied. And Dave Ramsey is very no fluff, right? He will tell you if it's going to be tough. He will tell you if it's going to take a long time. Yes. He'll say this is going to make you better, but this is like a multi-year process. Mm-hmm. This isn't some kind of like get rich quick scheme. He's very honest about that. And yeah. a lot of the marketing that's required in self-help industry to get people to buy the book, sometimes yeah. it does overpromise and underdeliver. But here are two things I'd say about it. Number one, I would say that all forms of learning are self-help. That education is by its very nature a process of self self-improvement. Mm-hmm. So if you're studying physics, if you're studying economics, if you're studying anthropology, if you're studying political philosophy, anytime you are expanding your understanding of how the world works, you are increasing your level of personal power and giving yourself a greater opportunity for self-mastery. Mm-hmm. So I don't limit myself to what's in the self-help section, but I also don't exclude what's there out of any kind of prejudice. Mm. You know, um, wherever there are human beings speaking in a way that sounds interesting to me, I don't care about their label, I wanna learn. So I don't have anything going on where I'm like, oh, Tim Ferriss, he's a self-help guy. No, man, if Tim Ferriss is saying something and it's helping me, I, I just want ideas. I just want good ideas, you know? If Tony Robbins is saying something and it's useful to me, I just want good ideas. You know, I I don't care how the person looks. I don't care if they're cheesy. I don't care what their brand is. I care about me and my own journey towards self-actualization. And I think the best way to study, the best way to read is to do so in a self-interested manner. The second thing I'll say, oh shoot, I I, I forgot this thought. Ah, man. It's all right, man. Um, Shoot, I I said everything is self-help. 
You could tweet well, that, uh, by the way. Well, <laughs> when he when he talked about all the the uh, yeah, a, 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 all learning is self help. Yeah. Uh, here's here's what I'll well add to that yeah. is we we labels are important, right? Labels shouldn't be held too tightly right though, right. right we have to have labels I, this I is a microphone to, exactly yeah and, and that, that's a label for it right? right you can't go to the store and and ask right. for something that doesn't have a label well, well, can you yeah. point me in the direction yeah. of yeah. Yeah. hey what are you guys here for <laughs> oh man i like to put labels on anything <laughs> right is, is this a self-help podcast uh, uh sure sure i mean it can yeah. be. Be- because I, I i would consider it that i mean you guys are offering stories and insights that can help people. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I mean, we, I mean we, so we wrote three books, right? And, yeah. And uh, I, I, the way I define them is to put a label on them, right? Is essential is an essay collection, right? It's probably a self-help essay collection, if we're being yeah. honest. Minimalism is a self-help book. I just say, yeah, yes, it's a self-help book. Sure. Yep. And I say everything that remains is a memoir, but it's probably a self-help memoir as yeah. well. And I'm okay with that term, though. But I agree with you. There's so many people who have, you know, it's like. Because the barrier of entry is so low, like anyone can can provide help, but how useful is their help is is the question. Mm-hmm. And now we're also in this age, yeah. you've seen this, where everyone is creating content. Yeah. And and uh, we had Nate Green on the on the podcast and, and he talked about I think the his his quote was um, speak only when it adds more value than silence Mm, yeah and man like that's that's powerful right because quite often we just feel like i have to fill the space although sometimes that space would be a lot more valuable than what is said in the moment yeah yeah yeah, I mean, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ryan stepped on it. I ruined it. Right, we got a question here from Helen. Helen says, "Is it okay to wallow in sadness or anger?" Sometimes I think that positive thinking, while not feeling positive, is bottling up my emotions. Um, man, I don't think it's ever good to wallow in the negative feelings. It's again, like the negative feelings are a symptom. The anger is a symptom. The depression is a symptom. Um, I think there's need to be recognized, but like to sit there and just wallow in self-pity is uh i don't think that's useful personally no i and, and i think it can it can turn into a downward spiral i mean like i said this and thankfully this is on patreon I, this is not stuff i would talk about in in public generally but uh this past week's first time in my life i've had suicidal thoughts mm. um and i tend not to be a, a emotive person like the last time i i cried legitimately like broke down and cried was my mom died yeah a decade ago mm. And uh, something I think crying is wrong. I think it, it's very beneficial. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. just it, yeah. it's not a natural response for me. Right. But I could not stop crying this week. Like I, I had to yeah. lock myself in the bathroom. I was just like sitting on the floor, mm. just I uncontrollably. And uh, it, wallowing in that though could only lead to one place, mm-hmm. right? Like it's first time I like, like yeah there over the last nine months there have been times where I'm like man I wish I wouldn't have woken up today that's not suicidal but there are, right. there have been moments where it's just been like I need to end this all like this is too much suffering yeah and and I need this to be over but if if I wallow in it it's probably going to lead to that and and so it's finding a way out but also not I don't want to sugarcoat and say everything's great right mm-hmm. um but I, but I I do want to I want to acknowledge how I got there, but I need to find a way out of it. And wallowing is not is not the answer. Yeah, no. No. I, I agree. I I would say 
it is okay for you to process those feelings and to take as much time as you need to process them. It is okay for you to be honest with yourself and others about how you feel. It is okay for you to take longer than what the people in your life think you need to process them. It's okay for you to seek any help from anybody that you find helpful. It's okay to be curious about those feelings. It's okay to inquire into them. It's okay to use them as a tool for self-discovery. It's okay to talk to a therapist if that's something that you're open to and you feel is helpful. It's okay to simply feel those feelings and not force them out of your system overnight. That is absolutely okay. Um, I, I think the reason that we take issue with the word wallow is not because we're trying to be the semantic cops and arrest you for using that word. It's because that sort of implies that I'm going to accept this as my final state and, and I'm not going to be open to the possibility that this feeling is going to move me in a direction that leads me beyond it. Don't accept any feeling as the final state. Even even the good ones that you have, right? Because you know all of those feelings will will subside, and in many ways they are like the seasons; they come and go in different cycles. But as long as you are in that feeling, give yourself the permission to to accept that as okay for you to feel yeah. and, and process that in whatever way works for you. Yeah, you know, it's sometimes too like when I get you know really down for whatever reason. Sometimes I will take a moment to like really honestly appreciate the fact that I even have the the ability to feel because I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all you know I mean personally I, I'm sure it's different for for a lot of people but I know that like sometimes like going through those emotions uh like yeah we can learn from it um and you don't want to stuff stuff down because like you try to you try to like ignore those emotions it just comes back stronger in different ways especially like you try to drink it away or you know, do some drugs to push it away. Like it's just going to come back even stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, like I was, I was having this conversation with Mariah this morning. She was having a rough time and I'm like, you know, I was like our podcast today is about positive thinking. And like, I don't think that fixes everything, but being able to a, like appreciate the fact that you have this human experience, uh, also understanding that the human experience, it's like, it's heaven and it's hell. Like it's mm-hmm. like, I think that if hell exists, like this actually might be it, man. You know what well, I'm saying? Well, yeah, let's let's actually let's unpack that a little bit because you know we have someone like Rob Bell who's been on our podcast who and we've we had quite a few Christians. I, I don't know TK, you're son of a uh, of a pastor, right? Son of a preacher, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so but my first thought goes to like so Ryan and I grew up uh, religious, right? Ryan Jehovah's Witness, I grew up Catholic and uh very religious parents. Mm-hmm. But there are times where I kind of think of I think of prayer as almost like positive thinking in a way, but mm-hmm. but but uh, it can lead to like it can have the same sort of delusional positive thinking. Uh, we're well, as, we're asking oh. we're asking the universe to give me this Dude, thing. So what you're saying is is relying on prayer alone is kind of like relying on positive thinking alone. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like relying on the secret or yeah. whatever. Right. Well, it's funny because prayer, though, if like going back to the whoop, like yeah. that's the what's it your is. wish? Like that's the the first step. <laughs> that's if I get that. Knows. Tweet that podcast. Right. <laughs> we'll link to the song. <laughs> Who's that? Ninety five South. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm but, gonna pretend not to know. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's the first step in whoop. It's like, what is your wish? What do you want? I mean, uh, and it's. You know, I, I do think that that step is important. Like, you, you do got to have, 
Hail Mary, you know, like I mean, it's okay to put it, throw him a Hail Mary, Hail Mary out there, like it's not. But, but if you're just relying that, on the Hail Mary, like that's probably, is. like so, uh, so. Well, Hail Mary is literally a prayer, right? That that I is mean, true, that's, but that's mom, why the play is called a Hail Mary. I, I know, and my mom kept rosary beads on her at all times, and, <laughs> and said the rosary every single like. She had calluses on these two fingers because she would go through the I'm rosary through, beads, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and in doing that, like. Yeah, she was. She would do the Hail Marys, and that to me is more of a. That's like a transcendental meditation, right? Like when you're going through that same prayer over. Yeah. There was what, sixty beads on a rosary bead, I think. And she just keep going through it over and over. That that's that's similar to having a mantra and whatever your mantra is, uh, your big blue book or something. You're like mm-hmm. saying it over and over and over. Like it's it seems really similar. But our friend Adam uh, Dressler, who wrote a book. Um, I think it's called This Is How We Pray. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, he, he's a pastor at a really big church in, in Tennessee. And, um, you know, I'm reading that, and his is, is much, his is much different from that. Like, my mom's was a meditative sort of experience. But what about prayer for you, TK? What, I, I, I've never heard you talk about religion, but I know you have, you, you yeah. have your set of beliefs. What are you comfortable talking about with our, our, Small Patreon audience here. <laughs> Always comfortable talking about anything that comes up. Um, so there, there's a very excellent book by Brother Lawrence um, called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in that book, he delivers an understanding of prayer as the art of cultivating a consciousness of the divine omnipresence, meaning that God is present in and through everything and everyone. And prayer is simply anything that we do that awakens our understanding to this reality. Uh, This is echoed in another book, uh, Anthony DeMello, called Sadhana. And in that book, he begins with the premise that prayer can and should be fun, uh, and that any act can be prayer as long as you are coming to attention, right? Um, You also see this echoed in uh, Teresa Avila's uh, Interior Castle. Um, There's a verse in the Bible that, that instructs people to pray without ceasing. Now, if you think about that in a literal sense, that's kind of impossible because you can't be engaged in an act of prayer as traditionally understood mm-hmm. at every single moment of your your life. Uh, you have to sleep. Uh, you have to drive a car. You can't always be, you know, making the sign of the cross or holding your rosary beads or saying a Hail can't Mary. Can't record a podcast if you're praying. Right. 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 <laughs> um, but 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 the idea of praying without ceasing means that you are in a state of mindfulness. You're right? noticing the world around you. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, for me, yeah. the the most sort of euphoric state is often, for me, is when I'm writing because r- real writing is yeah. just noticing and then uh, uh, focusing that what you've noticed into the, the words on the page, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so we, we often conflate the distinction between prayer as a practice and specific forms of prayer as techniques. And there are a whole bunch of different forms of prayer um, throughout the history of religion, even in in the Christian tradition alone. So the Hail Mary is a kind of prayer, but that's different from the Our Father. And both of those belong within a specific category of prayer, right? Um, And there are different categories of prayer and different examples of prayer. Uh, The Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius, for instance, is an entire book on different kinds of prayer, or the Anthony DeMello book on Sadhana. Every single chapter is a kind of prayer. There is even a kind of prayer that simply involves 
being attentive to the inflow and outflow of breath and recognizing that that too is the circulation of the divine, right? There are all these different types of prayer. So I, I, I think just like with positivity, you have to make a distinction between positive psychology, which is this field where lots of people disagree, there's lots of diversity, there's no single monolithic conclusion, and the easy to pick on idea that says, you should only think about what makes you feel good. You have to do that same thing with prayer. Prayer is this old, old, ancient tradition that has transformed many people's lives and has been used in many different ways across cultures and religious traditions. And then there's prayer as we have been taught, which is shut your eyes really tightly, you know, close your hands right. and, and do petitionary prayer where you treat God as Santa Claus and you list out specific things that you want and you say, God, give me these things and give me these things. Right. That is one form of prayer. Right. Help right. me win, but that's not the only kind. Game and Help me win the game. Give me the yeah. nice car and the bigger house. Right. Yeah. yeah. Please. And yeah. And and yeah. I think I think that's a good point. There, there's noticing versus, um, as you said, petitioning. You know, uh, I often think that we turn to prayer in the darkest moments, yeah. not in the appreciative moments. Right. Where it's yeah. like, wow, this is all going great. Must be because I'm awesome. Right. And, and and but oh, this is all going terrible. Must yeah. be because God hasn't helped me out. Right. 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 Um, so I just need some help, God. It's interesting you you put that perspective on it because like I do pray, but I don't ask for stuff anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, it's for it's it's to show gratitude. It might be to uh, help myself focus on what it is that I want to incorporate into my life, whether it's, um, I don't know, man, like, uh, wanting to live a healthier lifestyle and, um, I will like voice my want, but it's not asking, like, I don't like, you know, it's not like, Hey, program me, go inside my brain and program me. It's more about like, Hey, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, you know, change these things. But that's, that's how I look at prayer. But, um, I guess it's another way. It's a long way of saying, like, for me, prayer is, it used to be this, yes, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me. And now it's a, like, gratitude practice that yeah. I have. And it's, like, the things that I do want, yeah, I mean, if, if I could, if there was a Santa Claus that I could ask stuff for, like, yeah. I guess maybe I would ask for stuff. <laughs> but really, like, the, the wants that I have, um, why well, just put myself in God's shoes? And, like, if I was God... I would want me to do it myself. Mm. Like I would yeah. want, I would want me to like put as much effort into it, and like for me to go through the struggle, for me to uh, not just have things handed to me. So, well, given, I even notice that with parenting yeah. now, like like with Ella, it'd be much easier for me to make her bed in the morning than coaching her through it repeatedly, right? Mm-hmm. Or like whatever it is, it's like I, I could say, just give me it, I'll do it, right? But that's what's that going to do? It's going mm-hmm. to just enable her to keep asking Santa Claus to do the thing for her, right? Mm-hmm. And just like uh, this weekend, she was uh, she was doing something with a little tablet that she has, and she was like, uh, come over here and help me with it. I'm like, no, you come over here, and I will help you with it if I'm not doing right. something right now, right? Uh, I'm going to help you figure it out. I'm not going to come over there and fix everything for you. So there, there's a, a, a very interesting Bible story that mirrors that. So there's a story of Jesus and the disciples on the boat. 
and um, there's a great storm, and it causes the disciples to fear for their lives. Mm -hmm. Jesus is sleeping on the boat, according to the story, and the disciples run to him, and they say, they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, we fear for our lives. We're going to die. Save us. And Jesus' response is very interesting. Based on religious stereotypes alone, what you would expect from Jesus is for him to say something like, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have come to your God in a time of great distress, and you have made a request of me. Mm -hmm. Allow me to help you out. But that's not what he says. Right. He rebukes them and says, O ye of little faith, how long must I tarry with thee? Then he addresses the wind and the waves, and he says, Peace be still, and the storm ceases. And then they say, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And whenever you hear that preached about or talked about, usually the emphasis is on how powerful Jesus was by making the storm cease. But we kind of overlook the fact that he rebuked his own followers when they reacted to a crisis mm. by running to him and begging him to save them. Right. He responded to them as if it were his will for them to develop their own potential to do something about it. In the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition, one of the, the words that's used uh, for salvation is theosis, which means God becoming. And, and it follows the pattern of one of the early church fathers who said God became man so that man might become God. And the notion there is the goal of prayer is self-actualization. It's divinization, right? That the goal of prayer is to not increase this sense of dependency that causes us to constantly make petitions. Right. Save me, give me, give me. It's to increase that sense of independency where we sort of reclaim our understanding of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of the creator, where we awaken to our own creative power, our own creative potential, and we can fulfill the command that was given in Genesis where God creates the world and says, I'm gonna stop now, I'm handing the project over to you, be fruitful and multiply, take this world and make it more than what it was when I gave it to you. You know, that's the goal of prayer. And so the economist Thomas Sowell says about economic policies, that you should judge policies, not by the intentions behind them, but by the actual outcomes they produce. So I don't care if you say, I'm I'm, I'm supporting this policy because it helps the poor. I wanna know, does it actually help the poor or does it make their lives worse? worse? I think the same is true of prayer. It's not just about the intentions, it's about the outcome. Are your prayers, whatever kind you're saying, are they putting you in contact with that within you that knows itself as a source of creative power. Mm. If so, that's prayer. If not, that's just going through the motions yeah. and you are guilty of what the Apostle Paul said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's empty religion, you know? Yeah. Uh, but true prayer awakens the spirit to your, your potential. Well said, man, that's, that was, yeah, that's spot on. So yeah, I believe in it. C.S. Lewis says, prayer doesn't change God, but it changes me, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Danny says, what's the best way to seek critical feedback without sacrificing positive thoughts? There's two interesting words that stand out to me here. Can you repeat it? Uh, what, D Danny says, what's the best way to seek critical feedback without sacrificing mm. positive thoughts? So mm. if I were to rephrase it, I would say, how do I get feedback? Because critical feedback, the, I, I look at criticism and feedback as two different things. Yes. That, that, that's how I delineate it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the reason that I, I don't go on Instagram and check the, the comments anymore. And we, we have someone to do that because I don't know this person. Who was it that said what they think about me is none of my business? <laughs> um, like and, that. and, and that's that's sort of how I feel about social media. Like yeah, me too. What they think of me is none of my business. The, the only place I look at comments... Right now, I look at two places. One is my personal mentions on Twitter, mm. 
um, or on Patreon. Now, Patreon, people have a stake in the game. There's a, a bit of a paywall there. And so, like, the, the people on Patreon, they're like, they kind of, they get it. We can disagree with each other. I can get fe- really good feedback from those people because I've accepted them into to my world. Yeah. And, and that's the same, that's the same thing with the, the five people in this room, right? Like, I can go to TK and say, hey, TK, can you give me feedback about this? Because I trust him. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to just, sending out a, a PDF to the world and saying, hey, give me criticism on this. Yeah. Because be careful what you ask for. You're going to get it. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think, yeah, feedback is important because like looking at your own creations or your own practices, whatever it is, through your own lens, like that's th- that's a fault, I feel like. Like you've got to have some someone you can trust to be like, hey, tell me what this looks like from the outside in. But with the criticism, it's like you just have to ignore that stuff, man. Because criticism is there to, it's to tear you down. It's the feedback builds you up where criticism tears you down. Right. Well, and I, I think the criticism shows you the problem. Feedback shows you the problem with a solution, or at least yeah. a, a proposed solution. Yeah, but right? even sometimes criticism shows you a problem that really isn't a problem, though. Right. It it shows you a problem, right? Oh, uh, I see. A, yeah. And and <clears throat> it's a perceived problem most of the time. Most of our problems are perceived problems. Yeah. They're not actual problems. Sure. And 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 so it, you can have someone say, here's a problem. They're really saying that's my problem. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm projecting that onto you. Judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. Yeah. And and it, the criticism tells me a lot more about the critic than it tells me about what they're critiquing. Yeah. You can tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, yeah, so to answer that question head on, it's like you've got to be able to, to differentiate between feedback and criticism. That's I think you how. have to seek feedback and you have to find ways to filter out criticism is, is yeah. the way that, because it's not simply ignoring it because criti- once it's there on your doorstep, it's really hard to ignore. But if you can filter it out, the way I filter it out is I don't look at, at dimensions because every time I do, I, I regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I'll say too is it's important to contextualize because a good skeptic could ask the following. Well, should you ignore feedback just because it makes you feel bad? This goes back to our discussion on positive thinking. Maybe someone is being a jerk, but they're telling you something that you need to hear. And even though it feels really bad, you should look at those mentions or you should look at those YouTube comments. So how do you know? And this is where I think contextualization comes in. The first question you've got to ask yourself is, what are my goals? What's the point of even being involved in a process of paying attention to feedback? Isaac Morehouse says it this way. He says, decide who you want to be a hero for and ignore everyone else, Mm. right? Because only you can know the answer to that question. So let's say I listen to your podcast and I go, oh, Josh, I think you could do a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that. Maybe I'm right about some things. Maybe I'm wrong about some things, but it doesn't really matter until we know what your goals are, right? Mm -hmm. Why would you even care about feedback in the first place? Because your goals are gonna help you determine what is useful and what is not. And I would say separate people's motives from your own self-interest. At the end of the day, when someone says something to you, either it's useful to you and helping you create the results you wanna create, or it's not. And if it's useful, it doesn't even matter if they're a jerk. Be way too selfish about what you're trying to get out of mm-hmm. it. Be way too selfish about your ability to learn, to be distracted by how much of a jerk they are. And if someone's being nice to you and they're telling you kind things, like, you look better than Jason Momoa, that's not useful. doesn't even matter that no. their motives are great and that they're saying something that makes you feel good. That's not useful. Move on. Take you, what's you, useful. You're never, as, you're never as bad as they say you are. You're never as good as they yeah. say you are. Mm. That's true. And And... I think if, if your objective is to get a drink of water, the worst place to go is to the waterfall. 
and and <laughs> you can tweet that too, Sean. Um, the uh, because the, the, but that's what social media has turned into. Oh yeah, is it has become this waterfall, and it's like I'm gonna drown underneath this thing, and uh, where I can just go downstream a little bit, and and the people I trust, where it's calm, and yeah. we. By the way, Ryan gives me more critical feedback than anyone mm-hmm. that, that I know because I ask for it from him, right? Yeah. And also I trust him, right? He's not going to yeah. come to me and say, you know, your shoelaces are stupid or whatever. Right. Um, and, but I'm going to find that on, on you know, whatever, Instagram. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on to Green Boarding Pass. Ask a question here. This is our last question for the Maximal. What's the best solution to racism? Now, I, inc- I included this here because TK has done four episodes with uh, <laughs> Steve Patterson mm-hmm. about race, and you two had disagreements uh, about it, uh, different points of view. I think I think ultimately you have the you have similar values, if not the same exact values. Um, but man, what a con- we talk about nuance. Um, there's a there's a simple answer: stop being racist. Right. That's the solution <laughs> to racism. Yeah, but like mm. that's like. Yeah, telling water not to be wet. Mm. Man, that what a tough question. Like there is, I mean, that's kind of like uh, in its own right, like uh, looking for a magic, like you know, positive thinking is this magic bullet answer. Mm. That question is like looking for this magic bullet answer, and like I don't think I don't think there's just one thing that you can do to like create you know to stop racism like that's there's there's a lot of things i think that it's it's a amalgamation of many things well i think i think about like um they're clearly racist out there right sure and so we kill all the racists that's how we end racism (laughs) (laughs) no it's actually not because we're always going to be tribal right right and so racism will be supplanted by sexism or it will be supplanted by you know, th- th- and there's good tribalism, obviously, right? You know, Seth Godin talks about tribes or yeah. or TK's tribe is Chicago Bulls. How's that working out for you lately? <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, there's uh, uh, th- there are these tribes, but then there are like, there's this sort of identity uh, tribe where it's like, uh, I'm so tied up into this and we let it either make or break our entire day you know the I, I heard someone talking about this recently i think it was duncan trussell he's talking about i saw someone who was like on instagram and they were like at a the grand canyon or something something beautiful and stunning he said look i'm at this beautiful place but mm. i can't enjoy it because donald trump is president <laughs> and it's like well wait a minute yeah like, you can't enjoy that because Don- and, and the same thing with racism is like um uh, I can't enjoy my life because I know there are racists out there. And, yeah. you know, I think that it, that it obviously sucks, but I'd love to hear TK's thoughts because I can wax poetic only only so long on a subject like this. Yeah, I mean, we, we need an entire episode on this just to get started. But <laughs> um, so first, let's let's get into the semantics, because I, I do think it's important because not everyone means the same thing when they say racism. Right. And. Um, I want to make sure we don't disagree on things that we actually agree about just because of words. So sometimes when people use the word racism, what they mean is simply racial prejudice. So a person is a racist under this definition if they harbor negative discriminatory attitudes to some, towards someone just based on race alone. Uh, even if that person has no power, no clout, no influence, if they have the attitude, they are a racist. 
Another definition of racism, or another manner in which it is used, is that it's the combination of prejudice plus power, right? That it's that it's not only the harboring of these negative attitudes, but it's but that attitude is combined with economic and political power, so you have the ability to make someone else's life difficult, right? Mm. Um, so those are two different kinds of forces we deal with. If we're just dealing with the attitude of racial prejudice, then we have to defeat that just like we deal with any other attitude. We answer that same question in the same way of how do we deal with greed? You know, now that's a, that's still just as difficult of a question, but we deal with that through a combination of education and the embodiment of virtue in our own individual lives. Mm-hmm. We take personal responsibility as individuals to embody the virtues that we believe in and to educate others towards those virtues by living by example. And we play the long game, understanding that winning the battle of the inner kingdom, winning the battle for human hearts is a long battle, it's an arduous battle, it's been fought for centuries and centuries and centuries, and you've gotta be truly devoted to it. When it comes to the other part though, how do we deal with racism as these attitudes plus economic and political power, then that is kind of a political battle. And we have to take a look at how certain policies and practices affect groups of people independently of our intentions because it's possible to not consciously subscribe to negative attitudes but to support policies and practices that have a disproportionate impact on people of certain demographics Um, and here is where i side with milton friedman who said the goal is not to find a system that relies on a good person The goal is to have a system that incentivizes even the bad person to do the right thing. So when we find ourselves in a situation where because a certain person becomes president and we say, oh, no, all hope is lost because we need a good guy in the system. Mm -hmm. That's evidence that we have a terrible system, not just for allowing that person Mm. to be in power, but because we have a system that relies on a good man. And if there are any guarantees in life, it's this. Before you die, if you're lucky to live long enough, you're gonna have at least one or two people occupying offices that are important to you that you don't like, Mm -hmm. who disagree with everything that matters to you, right? So I'm a major proponent in my political philosophy of systems that incentivize the bad person to do the right thing. The reason I think racism is such a powerful force in our world isn't because there are prejudiced people alone, but because many people who are prejudiced have a have the power to inflict violence upon uh, upon those that they are prejudiced against without accountability which is why i loved pete's response so much when he called for the independent investigation right when it came to the about pete Buttigieg judge here yeah 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 which is why i love that response so much um and and so i i think the way that you, you you know for instance um it's possible to have a negative attitude towards someone based on race but to have no power to impact that person's life, okay? Um, I think that's a rather weak force that's relatively easy to deal with. The difficult thing to deal well, well, with- Hold on, let's, let's talk about that real quick. So yeah. so to me, I, I think when you say education, I think of the best education as immersion. I think you tend to agree with that. That's the sort of praxis philosophy in a nutshell, right? Oh yeah. Um, and I, I think quite often people are, prejudice toward others because they don't understand the group right and and, um when you see people Mm -hmm. you know it's like who's the guy who like 
went out and converted a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members. Like, yeah, I know he, you're talking uh, about immersed the black guy. Yeah. Who, yeah, just befriended a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. and, and they, they, they're like, well, I, I can't hate approach. you, right? Like, yeah. uh, we were talking about this last night. Like, if you if you want to de-escalate a situation with someone or you that you think you're going to get into a fight with, loan mm-hmm. them a book because all of a sudden, psychologically, you have or, or you can loan them a spatula, a cup of sugar, whatever. You, you think, I must like this person if I just gave them something. Right. And it creates this cognitive dissidence in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the same is true with uh you know we live in a a relatively segregated country mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Yeah. uh we're from dayton ohio yeah it's east side is white west mm-hmm. side is black that's just the way that it is yeah. there right and and there's some overlap but very little and and when that happens like you you see these these segregated communities where people tend to look like each other and mm-hmm. the other community literally becomes the other Right, yeah. and and you even say it's well, it's the west side or it's the east side or whatever, right? But see, I don't think that's merely an attitudinal problem. I, I don't think the world is that way because there are some people who say, "Oh, we want those people to live over there while we get to live over here." In fact, that attitude is a very weak attitude that's really easy to overcome. the way, The reason the world is that way is because there are specific political policies in practice that not only incentivize people to be that way, but punish people for being otherwise. Give me so an example. One example of this would be the public school system. Mm-hmm. It is illegal if you grow up in Compton to go to school in Beverly Hills. It, it's not just that the people in Beverly Hills are like, hey, you can't come to our public school because we don't want you because you're one of the poor people from Compton. No, like you actually would get arrested. Okay, mm-hmm. if you live in Compton and you try to put your child in Beverly Hills, yeah. That, yeah. Well, that, that's a political matter, yeah. right? And, and there are many things like this, you know. So when most people talk about racism as a problem that's hurting our world, they're not just saying, "Hey, there are people out there that are hurting my feelings because they don't like black people or Asian people or white people." Yeah, that's a reality, and that does exist. But the reason this discussion gets so volatile is because people are addressing something that is systemic. Mm-hmm. People are addressing people are addressing a system that says if if you come from a certain background, okay, we're going to make it illegal for you to be able to do the kinds of things that you need to do or you would want to do mm-hmm. in order to try to create the life that you live. And, and, and those people are, are disproportionately affected by that. It's it's not just it, you're not you're not saying black kids from Compton can't go there. You're saying anyone from Compton can't go to Beverly Hills, but guess what? And by the way, I believe the most powerful forms of of racism, if you will, are not the attitudinal forms. They're the ones that are built into the way systems affect people, right? So let's let's say I'm the kind of guy who, at the level of my conscious thinking, I say, I love women, you know? I love women, I have a great relationship with my mom, a great relationship with my wife, women are totally cool, and all the women that I know love me, right? Mm-hmm. But let's also say I'm in a position of power where it just so happens, and let's just say I'm totally clueless about it because I'm not even aware of it. Right. It just so happens I'm constantly making decisions that are just crushing women mm-hmm. in the marketplace, mm-hmm. right? That are just making their lives difficult. I think that's, that's even worse, right? Because yeah. I, I still get to think I'm a good guy, yeah. I still get to feel great about the fact that I have all the right beliefs. It's sort of like religion. It's it's like the person who is a total asshole to everyone in their lives, but they go to church every Sunday. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they have all the right beliefs. Yeah. They say the creeds. They're checking they, the boxes. They, they're checking yeah. the boxes, right? That person is actually worse than the one that just totally owns it and is like, nah, I don't believe in God. I think that's a worse, worse time. Uh, I think that's a waste of time. I'd rather have that guy on my team than the person that's going to screw me over at every turn but mm-hmm. feel good about themselves because <laughs> they go to church every Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, so I, I don't think the most powerful and prevalent forms of racism in this world stem from people having the wrong consciously held beliefs because we live at a time where most people are incentivized to say the right things, right? Most yeah. people are incentivized to say and believe the right things. Um, but where the problems come from is are these kinds of policies. And, I, and that's just one example where it's hard to talk about it because the conversations usually diverge into, oh, well, uh, well, I'm not a racist. I got a black dog and a black friend or whatever it may be, right? It's like, <laughs> hey, man, nobody cares, right? We're not talking about you as an individual <laughs> and how good you feel in your heart. We're talking about these right. specific policies. And th- we got to look at talking, how they're affecting people. I think ultimately people. we're talking about both. I mean, and that's why you brought it up, right? Like, we're, we are talking about both. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Uh, because at the same time, like... It, you don't want to you don't want to be friends with someone who is a who has negative intentions as well right like if their intentions are bad intentions do matter mm. they definitely mm. matter okay so uh, if we're if we're both standing in my kitchen right we're, we're making dinner together yeah. right yeah and i accidentally turn around and cut you with a knife across the arm right <laughs> and I'm, oh my god i'm so sorry let me let, let me help out with that or whatever sure. right sure or if I just turn around, I slice you in the arm real quick with a knife. Like, it's the same exact thing. The same outcome has happened. But for the second, mm-hmm. the second bit, I should go to jail for a long time for mm. that, right? For yeah. the first bit, I probably should have no punishment whatsoever other than, yeah. like, your own sort of uh, uh, scorn and, and, and yeah. I should ask for forgiveness, basically. So I, I agree with that. But, but now you have pressed me to make a further distinction. So I would separate intentions, which is what you are trying to do, mm-hmm. from emotions, which is what you feel or how you feel about me, right? Uh, and, and, and I don't think emotions equal ethics. So just because you have positive feelings towards me, it doesn't mean you have positive intentions toward me. So mm-hmm. a great example of this in the context of race is take the movie Get Out, uh, where the people who were most dangerous towards black people were actually the people who liked black people the most. Yes. Right? They were super friendly towards black people. They were happy when black people came around. And yet, in a different sense, they were the most dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, in, in, in one of the first scenes in that movie, you see the white cop pull over the couple. And, and the, way, the way they're painting the picture, the implication is that the cop is like a racist guy. You know, the black dude isn't even driving and he wants to see his license. And they're they're kind of setting you up for the racial tension you're gonna experience throughout the movie. But the implication is that the cop is a racist, okay? Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting about it is the cop was less dangerous to him than the girl he was dating who loved black guys, Yeah. right? So, so we have to be careful with giving people an out just because they have positive thoughts because one of the most dangerous people in the movie said, oh, I love Obama. If I could have elected him a third time, I would have put him in office, right? And he was the most dangerous guy towards black people. So um, I I think a more important question is, I think the most important question is, how are you committed to treating other human beings? Um, I, I talk about this in my conversation, I believe I did with Steve Patterson, but 
there's a moment in, in, in August Wilson's play Fences, which there's a movie now with Denzel Washington, actually. Uh, and there's a moment where the father and the son are having a conversation. And um, the, the, father, the son is very upset with his dad and accuses his dad of not liking him. And so the dad drills him with a series of questions. He says, is there always food on the table? Son says, yes. Do you have a bed to sleep in? Yes. Do you have a roof over your head? Yes. And he just like drills him on all these questions. Yes, yes, yes. And the dad says, why do you think that is? And the son says, because you like me? And the dad says, because I like you? Mm. No. And then he gives him this speech. He says, it's because I'm a man and it's because I'm committed to doing what's right. I'm committed to living in accordance with my principles. And he says, and that's what you need to worry about. Instead of going around worrying about who likes you and who doesn't like you, you need to ask yourself who's doing right by you. Mm. So when it comes to who I choose to be friends with, I care about who does right by me. I, I, I don't care about what you say in terms of how much I love black people or how much I love Praxis or how much I love the Chicago Bulls. Will you do right by me? Because, right, because, because that includes a whole bunch of ingredients. Yeah, and, and some of the most dangerous freaking people in this world are people that have very flattering beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you uh, see and, us? The, the follow up? I, 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 I didn't see us. Okay, well, I, I didn't was, see it. I was looking for commentary yeah, the, the, on that because it, it lost me quite a bit. But I mean, it was more of a, a commentary on. On did you see us? Uh, it's the follow up to, to Get Out, essentially Jordan Peele's second film. Oh, really? Yeah, and, uh, and then he came out with a it's yeah. a sequel. No, not really. No, okay. no, it it doesn't even occur in the same universe. But okay. like it's uh, yeah, it still deals with these. it deals with class okay. more so than race. I mean, okay. it's a predominantly black black cast, but it it deals with with. I really love that he uh, he he took the 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 dad role and um uh, did the opposite of what a lot of films try to do they, they created the right now it, it, the dad is the is the black equivalent of al bundy basically in the yeah, film right yeah. like but a smart version right but and so like it's like the 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 goofy character right which is almost always exclusively reserved for the al bundy types the middle-aged white men and I love what he did with the film and then created this this whole idea of class and this underclass and um, it kind of went off the rails for me and I don't want to give any spoilers but uh, we'll have to talk about it on, on a future podcast then because I'd love oh man I gotta watch it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was it was not Get Out um, because Get Out to me was is like a classic film I, I thought it was I thought Get Out was phenomenal but um, it left me thinking about a lot, at least about mm. about class and classism and mm. um, attitudes toward people, yeah. uh, violent uprisings, like all of these things. Um, I, I, I gotta dig into that. We should talk about it. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a, I'm a horror movie connoisseur. Okay, I, I believe there's so much great philosophical insight. Horror, in horror movies, movies and Christmas music. This guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. We, need, we need like a Christmas horror film. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> they've tried, but uh, it's yeah. tough because Christmas music is too pure Um, (laughs) but but you know the the reason i went on that whole rant and i'll I'll wrap this up and we can move on i know but like the the reason i want to say this is because i I do believe that to our own detriment we we demonize people for having negative thoughts Mm -hmm. right but 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 when we talk about racism we're really talking about negative thoughts towards someone based on race right and one of the things that i don't think we're honest with ourselves enough about is the fact that if if we had some sort of uh, public broadcasting device and we could 
we could broadcast everyone's secret and private thoughts. Oh, we'd all, all we will all be screwed. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. We'd all be ashamed. Because every single one of us has had a negative thought towards another person mm-hmm. that's not gonna be good for our public brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I feel uh, like and, I have a couple friends who I'd be like, Really? They didn't have any negative thoughts? Like <laughs> there would be somewhere yeah. somewhere. But yeah. yeah. But 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 the reason I say this is because that's not what virtue is. Virtue has never been you don't have any negative thoughts. In fact, the reason why we even have moral codes is because it is a given that we are going to have moments where we say, oh, I just want to punch this guy in the face. Yeah. Right? That's why we need a moral code that says you can't solve problems through violence. We need that because our instinct is to solve problems in the easiest, most convenient way. And Mm. sometimes that's just being a jerk. Sometimes that's being impatient with people. Sometimes that's telling the people in your life, you know what, you've annoyed me today. Get out of my life, I'm done with you forever. The reason we need moral guidelines and insights and philosophers and sages to remind us over and over again is because our instincts and our private thoughts are ones where we often have all kinds of terrible thoughts about ourselves and other people, but virtue is what you do with that. Mm -hmm. And the person that I trust, the person that I wanna be friends with, the person that I align with, is not the person who can promise me that they've never ever had a negative thought about me or people like me, Mm -hmm. but the person who says, you know what? In spite of the fact that I find it hard to like a certain group of people, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to work on myself and I'm willing to commit to do the right thing, not because it comes easily to me, but because I believe in what's right. And I think that's important because when we stop demonizing negative thoughts, we also stop giving an easy out to the people who have positive thoughts. And one of the main reasons why political manipulation is so easy is because people know how to say the right things to convince us that they're on our side. All they gotta do is look at us and say, oh, I feel your pain, you know, I, you know, but man, that doesn't show me anything, you know what I mean? That's just saying the right thing. And, and, and we've sort of incentivized this, this unprecedented amount of virtue signaling today where all you gotta do is equate moods with morality and, and scream outrage at the right things and we just give you a free pass like you're changing the world. But I don't give those free passes. You are a virtuous person when you are committed through action mm, right. to creating results for yourself and other people. Committed through action. Not just tweeting that you're mad about this and that because that doesn't tell me what you're doing to make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah. totally I mean, agree. We, we, can, we can have a whole episode on this, man. We're really we're, good. We're not even getting anywhere yet. <laughs> Let's wrap up this uh, maximal segment, y'all. TK, thank you for joining us today. How's that office hours going? Office hours is going really well, man. Isaac and I, uh, we're done with season three, and uh, you can see the episodes on our Praxis YouTube channel. Check us out at discoverpraxis.com. Go to the podcast section uh, at the top of the page and uh, check out Isaac and I with Office Hours. It's a good time. Yeah, you can also get it wherever you get podcasts. It's just called Office Hours. Um, yeah, you and Isaac do a great job. You, you have a, a great back and forth between the two of you. Um, it, it even shows on social media as well. Also, check out TK Coleman, tkcoleman.com. You can find his blogs, uh, his blog posts there and uh, sign up for his newsletter. I know I'm on it. And uh, anytime that he writes a blog post, it just goes straight out to you. Um, Thank you for being here today, TK. Yeah, man. Really appreciate you. Love you guys. All right, y'all. Love people use things. We'll see you next time. The Minimalists.